This is Generation Justice, a multimedia project that trains youth to harness the power of media for social change. I'm Yusuf Farmer. And I'm Pilar Manfaletto. Under the new administration, the American press is scrutinized often, even more when journalists cover social movements. Tonight, we will speak with two journalists who share their experiences covering movements and their thoughts on the role of the media. We'll hear from Jenny Monet, an indigenous journalist who spent months covering Standing Rock and Mari Blanca Robles Lopez, a Puerto Rican photojournalist who has covered the ongoing fight over the island statehood. We also have an amazing community calendar featuring events from around the city. Before we jump in, we're going to start the night with a little bit of music. Here's Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine. Regrets collect like old friends Here to relive your darkest moments I can see no Jenny Monet is an independent journalist who embedded herself at the Standing Rock Reservation for several months while covering the fight over the Dakota Access Pipeline. Jenny has reported for many outlets, such as CBS, CNN, PRI, and NPR. And she's a member of the Laguna Pueblo, right here in New Mexico. Generation Justice recently caught up with Jenny at the Allied Media Conference in Detroit, and she spoke about journalism, Standing Rock, and indigenous media. Let's listen in. This is Kateri Zuni with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Jenny Monet, a journalist from Laguna Pueblo. Uh, Jenny has contributed to many outlets, including Yes Magazine, Al Jazeera, um, and more. Jenny, welcome to Generation Justice. Will you please introduce yourself? My name is Jenny Monet. I am from the Pueblo of Laguna. I'm an independent journalist, and uh, it's great to see you here in Detroit at the Allied Media Conference. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. Yes. If you can, Jenny, just give us an idea of uh, the work that you've taken on recently, um, particularly in Standing Rock. So my work at Standing Rock began in early September. I took my first trip up there and arrived just after private security guards hired by Dakota Access had used dogs on leashes on water protectors who scaled a fence to stop construction that day of lands that the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe had deemed sacred earlier, just days earlier, and complained to the court about it. And I knew right there and then that this was a different kind of struggle than I had seen in my decades-long work of working in Indian country as a journalist. And so I pursued the story, uh, which grew to a six-month-long chronicle of the standoff at Standing Rock, in which I eventually embedded myself on the reservation until the camps were raised in late February. In your work, you draw a lot to the connection between what happened in Standing Rock and what's going on with indigenous activists globally, especially in South America. Can you touch a little bit more on that and expand on that? Absolutely. When I made my first trip to Standing Rock, my first story was about the dog attacks of September 3rd. And I instantly drew a connection from previous reporting that I had done months earlier in Honduras 
around the assassination of Berta Cáceres, the Honduran environmentalist and also indigenous rights activist who was assassinated in her home over her dogged fight to protect the Guacarqui River from a hydroelectric dam development project. It was the primary water supply for the Lenca people of Honduras. And the similarities, the parallels were so astounding. But perhaps what was most profound for me was the kind of militarized style response on the ground that day that I had come to recognize in other countries far away like Honduras, but the reality that this was happening in America and more importantly on the borderlands of an Indian reservation, to me became quite clear that this was why this was, in my opinion, going to be a profound struggle unlike anything that we had seen in the United States in perhaps 150 years, that is. (laughs) Because in many ways, militarized treatment and control of indigenous peoples regarding the encroachment of their lands is not new, right? I mean, this is a repeated narrative. And that also becomes part of the story at Standing Rock as well. Thank you for that. You're a native woman, and most of your work is in Indian country and covering these native issues. Where do you balance yourself in that and how how do you approach those stories? One of the more common assumptions I get from journalists and other media makers is that because I'm Native American covering an indigenous-led movement like Standing Rock, the assumption is is that I'm automatically an activist and I'm labeled as such without permission, actually, without anyone really asking me whether or not that's the case. And no shade on activism. There is definitely a need for this kind of take-to-the-street mentality pushing back on what we see as injustices unraveling, especially in our America that we live in right now. But is that my role to play? And it, and it isn't. My role is and has always been as a journalist who is formerly trained in the craft of getting all sides of a story to bring context and understanding, further understanding to issues like Standing Rock. And that's exactly what I did in North Dakota covering the anti-pipeline resistance demonstrations there. And so I feel like my work at Standing Rock also kind of put me in a position where I felt like I had to overcompensate as a journalist and in my peer group so that I was seen as somebody who carried objectivity with them wherever I might have been in the development of the story unraveling at Standing Rock, whether it was the camps, whether it was the governor's office, whether it was at the sheriff's department, whether it was on a rancher's homestead. These scenarios for me meant that I needed to be able to have that relationship with all sides of people who were affected by this struggle in North Dakota. And that meant having my work represented in that way. And I feel like it was at the end. And that makes me feel really grateful for that kind of response, not only from people who read, consumers who read my work, but also my peer group, my journalism peer group. And so when we look at journalism right now under this new administration, I think it's pretty safe to say that there's a shift in how 
the public is looking at journalists and the press. Tell me about working in Trump era journalism. It's such a great question. And it's one that being here at this conference, the Allied Media Conference, which is rooted in social movement activism, has really made me stop in my tracks and think, what is going on right now with my profession and the role of activism and where those two intersect? It, the line is getting blurrier in that regard. Even with what Generation Justice does, it is rooted in ideas that I firmly believe in, in telling underrepresented stories, bringing voice to the cliched voiceless, right? And that kind of nuance that unfortunately isn't heard that often on public radio or in, in commercial outlets of news. And I love what's happening in the media space for that very reason. Radio in particular and podcasting in particular, I feel like is this really strong and powerful space for that kind of diversity. And with these diverse ideas, I feel like only breeds this beautiful bastion of understanding and I think with that understanding it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone needs to agree. I mean we don't even agree sometimes with people that are in our closest corners but healthy debate and honest acceptance of various varying ideas and points of view that's what helps people bring closer together for peace right and we are living in this age right now where we're so challenged by just things that we may have taken for granted. Systems of government and just daily life in our communities are being challenged in every way. My profession as a journalist is being what many see as being under attack by this administration, by the president himself. It's a very slippery slope right now for journalism because at one hand, there is this rise of outspokenness and everyone practicing the First Amendment, which to be clear, belongs to everyone. Right? It doesn't, it's, the First Amendment does not just apply to journalists. Free speech applies to all Americans who want to challenge the status quo, who want to question authority, who have something to say in, the, in defense of their rights for justice. Where that collides with the practice of journalism, while that profession of journalism is under attack, for me is where things are still unclear and what gives me pause to try to understand where I fit in all of this because I feel like on one hand it's not even really in my DNA to take to the streets and pump fists and you know carry signs but it is in my entire being to talk to as many people as I can to write about it and bring context to it and I need that personally for me, I need that space and that integrity to stay as much as intact as possible. And I feel like that's where journalism is. It's in this kind of very fragile state where the integrity needs to be upheld, but there also needs to be an embrace of this other space that's happening in places like the Allied Media Conference where social movement is something that is so powerful right now that it cannot be ignored. And so... How do you see indigenous media, indigenous-led media, within this context? Another great question. For so long, indigenous-led media has been what I would have described as advocacy media. 
in years past, there's really only been a handful of Native American journalists working in mainstream newsrooms covering issues that aren't even related to reservations more, more than often, right? Uh, I was included in that when I worked for Media Market TV News and then in urban environments in New York City. All of that is good for for training. What I think is wonderful right now is the internet has raised the visibility of indigenous voices of very informed and articulate Native American writers and broadcasters. And now there's this interesting space where it is intersecting with activism and journalism. I feel like it's a very similar issue in just what's happening in the media space right now. For Native media to be taken seriously on issues like Standing Rock from a Native perspective, I feel like that integrity of journalism needs to almost be overcompensated. And that has always been my role at places like Standing Rock, where for it to be accepted in a broader mainstream as a Native voice bringing context to Native issues, that objectivity almost has to be twice as good as a non-Native writing about it, my opinion. And I know that there is a proper space for advocacy journalism from a Native perspective that shows the real heart and soul of where I think people's sentiments are coming from. And that's great. That's one voice of those kind of stories that get told. But if these indigenous stories are going to be told from an indigenous perspective, I feel with journalistic integrity, that also has to include all sides and all variances of, of the narrative. And I don't see that represented in large part with Native advocacy-led uh, narratives and if we want to strengthen those narratives uh, you know it, it, we need to also strengthen the real journalism behind it. How can we keep that sense of ourselves and our duty to our community but also the need to be taken seriously? I think the safest bet for any storyteller of any background is to play to the strengths right whatever those strengths are the authenticity, the nuances, the personal. No one can ever take that from anybody, the personal experiences and bringing context to what that is. That's what's so powerful about story. And so I feel like, you know, interviewing the tribal grandma, you know, on the reservation about her seed supply and what that means, you know, generations later, something like that is being restored and coming back to a new generation, for instance, right? Food sovereignty issues and bringing context to that with personal story. Nobody can take that away. And those, when I say playing to the strengths when it comes to storytelling, it's the personal story that's gonna do that. Secondly, honesty. I think where advocacy oftentimes loses its strength is with a lack of fact-based information and that kind of hollowed foundation of story it just weakens the narrative in such a way so i i almost feel like um, if advocacy media can continue to play to its strengths on personal storytelling and if it wants to get into the facts it also it has to be very responsible about that especially at a time when press freedom is under attack, 
I feel like anybody who is making media right now needs to consider consider the ramifications in the long game and then in the long view of press freedom and to take that very responsibly. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I think it's really wonderful that despite the chaos that we're living in right now in these times under the Trump administration where we're all confronting this new America, the energy and the hope that people and the dogged fight that people have, the fire in their belly that they have in one way or the other, whether it's taking to the streets, whether it's telling these stories, I think it's very inspiring. And I would just urge people to to be responsible in a way. Naomi Klein just came out with a book entitled No Is Not Enough. But her message comes with this kind of message of, hey, we're going to react. We're going to have to react to big things down the road, but we need to be responsible about it. We need not to overreact. We need to understand and prepare ourselves for consequences. And I think that's my message around journalism and storytelling as well is right now with press freedom under such attacks, the stories that we put out there, the image and the optics that we're putting out there with story and fact-based information has to be treated with such kid gloves right now because the consequences are too grave. And to uphold that integrity of press freedom is really so sensitive right now. I'm trying to even personally weigh that within myself. How do we get that message out without offending people? The First Amendment, freedom of speech, it belongs to all of us. No one should be able to close the gate and the door on that, but there should be this collective understanding and concept of of what it means when it comes to the variances of, of what media and its roles in the kind of social strata and ecosystem that we're in right now. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for speaking with us. Um, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much for talking with me. This is Kateri Zuni with Generation Justice. Jenny, thank you for sharing your view on Standing Rock and your experience while on the job. I really appreciate you sharing to the world that the First Amendment is for everyone and not just for the press. Thank you so much for your words and uh, the information about the lack of representation of indigenous people in journalism. I agree that there should be more mainstream representation from indigenous people. The events of Standing Rock inspired plenty of music. One example of this is Stand Up by Taboo with the Hip Hop Caucus, creator of People's Climate Music. Nations and our people that been living here for thousands of years. Stand up. We've been fighting for our freedom since the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria. Stand up. Like Geronimo, sitting bull. Tonight we've talked to Jenny Monet about reporting on Standing Rock and media experiences in the era of Trump. Next, we join Mari Blanca Robles Lopez, a photojournalist who lives in San Torce, Puerto Rico, and her job looks at daily life and its struggles in Puerto Rico. Recently, she covered actions surrounding Puerto Rican statehood. Mari works for the outlet Periódico Claridad in Puerto Rico, where there is unrest over the island becoming the 51st United States. Now, here is Generation Justice member Luna Olavaria Gallegos with Mari Lopez. 
My name is Luna Olavaria Gallegos. I'm here right now in San Juan, Puerto Rico with Mari Blanca Robes Lopez. Today, we're in the middle of a socio-political crisis in Puerto Rico that Mari can talk to us more about in a second. If you can first just introduce yourself. My name is Mari Blanca Robles Lopez. I am 24 years old from Santurce, Puerto Rico, and I work as a photojournalist at Periódico Claridad. Can you tell me about Periódico Claridad? What does that mean? Well. Periódico means newspaper in Spanish, so it's claridad means clarity. It would basically be, you know, like clarity in the journalism world. It's the only newspaper that's left from the independence movement, and it's been known for its objectiveness in journalism. Can you tell me about what you mean when you're talking about objectivity? that it doesn't take sides at all. It's journalism that comes from a place of truth and not a biased place. I met you at the protest that was happening during the plebiscito, which is like an election. Can you explain what happened that day and why there was a protest and what you were doing there? Well, it's a little more complicated than only the elections that went on that day because it, those elections came from all the things that are actually going on in the island. Uh, we are Commonwealth, basically a territory for the United States, and we have been fighting to get our independence or statehood uh, for a few years now. This election was brought on by the party that is in favor of statehood, which is the party in power right now. So it's called Caplebiscito, and you put all the options of statehood, independence, and Estado Libre Asociado, which is how we are right now. Statehood won by 97%, but of the 100% of the registered voters, only 22% went to vote. There was an opposition towards this plebiscite because it was completely unnecessary and people thought it was a waste of money. There are other things right now that require more attention than that does, and the people see it as a, if it was like a veil to cover up the things that are actually happening with the problem of our status. Can you tell me about what other things right now are on people's minds that besides this election, this plebiscite? Well, where do I begin? <laughs> I think the economy is one of the things that is mostly on people's mind. We're suffering from an economic crisis since 2006 and everything just seems to be getting expensive-er and we just seem to be getting poorer and there's this whole huge public debt in this island that doesn't belong to us and the government is trying to make us pay for it and they don't want to audit it because they know that if they do all of them are going to be guilty of the debt so they're trying to cut from all of the sectors in the island and that hurts the people because they're mostly trying to cut from education and health So it's going to leave a lot of people without being able to go to college. Uh, the only university that's the university of the state right now is the University of Puerto Rico. So it's the only one that's actually affordable for people of low income to go to. Cuts in the health sector would be terrible for us. I mean, to be honest, right now we don't have the best health system in the world. So cuts would be just death to it. So on the day-to-day -day level, can you explain some of the, the changes that you have already seen as a young person? For a few years, we've had an increase in taxes. Our tax right now is at 11.5%, so everything has just been going up and it just makes life less affordable in the island. 
this island is really, really expensive. I've had people from other from other parts of the world come here as tourists or for work and tell me that, tell me that it's it's too expensive to live in and it's too expensive to eat in and it's just expensive in general. So when you have an island that has all of these things that are not affordable to people in general, you create a sense of distrust and of anger in the communities including myself because you find yourself against a wall basically like there are a lot of people that leave the island I've even considered it I love my island but I've considered leaving because it's unlivable so those are things that I see on a day-to-day -day. like most of my friends leave I, I literally have no friends left on the island because they've all left to other countries and I get it you know and it's sad it's sad to see and it's it's depressing to see people who love their island including myself including my family have to take really rash decisions have to take out one two three jobs just to be able to survive it's, it's hard so at the election protest that we were at there were a lot of policemen there more than I've ever seen at any protest um, in comparison to the amount of people that were protesting can you tell me about the heightened militarization that you've seen as a photojournalist well at the start of the year when the governor was sworn in a lot of protests started like going on about the whole debt thing um, and he started like mobilizing units of police force to areas that work in areas like narcotics or stuff like that to protests and to be there and it's it's really weird because you can actually see the bias in how many policemen are in the protests that are for independence or for the students or for the public and the country against other people for example you get a protest from the students or you get a protest from the independence movement and you see that it doesn't matter if it's only 30 people in the street you're gonna get like 700 policemen a few months back there was a taxi strike the taxi drivers took the streets and they blocked the whole avenue and it was mayhem and there were like you know three police cars really low police surveillance it's very clear that they're biased about who they think or who they want people to think they're dangerous or not so at a moment right now of like economic turmoil that you're talking about for you why is your work important and how do you see it impacting the resistance movements that are happening? Well, I try to make my work less about me and more about, you know, the people because I really just want to be a conveyor of the truth. I want people to see things with their eyes, you know? I think we live in a moment, not only here, but, you know, globally, where people are more see to believe. So I think photojournalism is a way to make them understand what is going on while they actually see it which makes it in turn more easier for them to understand I started doing this just a while back but I've seen a lot of people that have actually sent me messages saying thank you because if it wasn't for you I wouldn't know that this is going on and you know that that inspires me to keep on working because it, it makes me believe that what I'm doing is actually making a difference and I've seen people that have seen my stuff on the internet and they just ask me like hey what's the next thing like I want to go I want to participate this isn't fair I didn't know this that's important 
people who are actively working outside their normal medias or their normal jobs to inform the public for me are the best people out there they are doing god's work they are informing the people of what they need to know and they are not letting them go by as ignorant and they're not standing for a government and for media that makes people think that they cannot handle the truth because i feel that's that's something that the people in power in general think about the puerto rican people they think that we are dumb and that we can't handle the truth about the things that are happening and i don't think that's true i think we are strong people and i think we are we are stronger than everybody believes we can actually make a difference in our island and in the world and in the caribbean if we knew the truth and if we actually were informed like we're supposed to be is there anything else you'd like to add not really <laughs> it's okay okay thank you Mari, it sounds like the situation in Puerto Rico is frustrating and sad. I believe your work will help. I am also interested in photography, and you inspire me in so many ways. Thank you for your words. You're an inspiration to our generation. Here's a song by Puerto Rican hip-hop artist, Pin Sensuela. It's called Vivo. Con las costillas de arena, un padrastro la encadena cada vez que desordena con el trasero lleno de mollis de berenjena por estar tirados para atrás como una Now we have an announcement from all of us here at Generation Justice. Are you interested in creating media? Are you interested in social justice issues? If you are, then Generation Justice wants to hear from you. We are currently looking for new youth members to produce media and build community. If you're 13 to 18 and want to participate in New Mexico's premier youth media organization, you can apply at generationjustice.org. I've been with Generation Justice for about four years, and I have so much love for this program. It's taught me how to think critically and understand things that I never would have learned about in school. Generation Justice has done amazing things for me personally and professionally. And also Generation Justice has helped me develop in so many ways and it has helped me grow as a person. It is a very nice environment with really great mentors that will help you learn a lot. Duration Justice is an amazing experience and I'm thankful that I joined. I'm so thankful to be in an organization like Generation Justice. The environment is so positive and educational. It has definitely helped me learn more and grow as a person these past two years. I've been with GJ for about two years now. And over what feels like such a short time, I've worked with some of the most amazing journalists and revolutionaries. I've learned so much, like how to produce a radio program, photography, audio and video editing, and interviewing. Without GJ, I never would have found my passion for journalism or had the chance to become a journalist at such a young age. I would recommend this program to anyone, even if you have no experience with media, neither did I, and here I am two years later hosting shows every month. Again, if you're between 13 and 18 years of age, visit generationjustice.org and apply to be a youth producer. Now, here's spoken word poem that highlights the greatness and the struggle of living in the U.S. It's called America in Four Minutes by Brendan Wellington. 
of the people, by the people, for the people. Those are words that we put in our nation's creed. But only right here in America do we feed foreign countries while some starve on our streets. Only right here in America at age 18 can you qualify to die in a war with bombs and guns, but you can't have your first bottle of rum until you turn 21. This is America. It's home of the brave, home of the wealthy, rich, home of the paid. It's also home of the homeless, the hurt, the deceived, and home of natural disasters that left families in need. We've come to the end of another great show. We'd like to thank our guests, Jenny Monet and Mari Blanca Robles Lopez, for sharing your work with us. Production assistance came from Alicia Hernandez, Luna Oliveria Gallegos, Kateri Zuni, and Roberta Rael. Thank you to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all our past video programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and rate us. We're also active on social media, so make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Gun Alma Health Foundation, the Albuquerque Community Foundation, and of course all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. I'm Issa Farmer. And I'm Pilar Manfaletto. Good night, New Mexico, and have a wonderful week. And they are inside your head. You got a voice that sounds. You won't get past this one. You won't win your freedom. It's like a constant war. And you want to settle that